Welcome to Season 4 of Game Design Unboxed on the No Direction Network. Danielle Reynolds talks to tabletop game designers about the games they've made. Together, they unbox how the game went from inspiration to publication. Proudly sponsored by AllPlay. If you're looking for a board game table, bag, playmat, or great board games, check them out at letsallplay.com. Thank you for joining me, Danielle, for Game Design Unboxed, Inspiration to Publication, Episode 81, Pirate Tales. Today, we are joined by Whitney Lorraine, the designer of Charcuterie the Board Game, Invincible, Escape from Mars, and of course, the Spotlight, Pirate Tales. Thanks for being on the show, Whitney. Thanks for having me. Of course. I'm super excited. For anyone who doesn't know you as much as I know you, mind telling people how you got into game design? Yeah, absolutely. I think like a lot of gamers, I've always loved games, loved playing them as kids. My family always wanted to play party games. Um, we would get games for the holidays and like sit around and play them. And I always wanted to play the Risk and the complicated, you know, strategy games that existed at the time. So always loved games. It wasn't really until college that I got into the modern board games. Once we, we would sit around and play um, Access and Allies. And then one day we found this lovely game called Small World and we were like, whoa, it's like all the fun of a strategy game, but in like 45 minutes and then it's always different. And then we were hooked and ended up having a bunch of games between the eight of us in college. We would have a new game like every week, which was financially affordable when there was, you know, eight of us buying them one at a time. And that was just what we did. We just played games. Then from there out of college, my um, boyfriend and I, I talked about starting a board game cafe, and that's a whole other story, but had a board game cafe for seven years, did the whole retail thing, and did design as like a fun thing on the side. We had a design group, and then by going to conventions and traveling around, um, getting to know designers and publishers and stuff, got to actually make that fun side hobby a reality, and here we are. Now I'm trying to pursue it full-time and have a couple things signed and more on the way, so uh, living the dream. <laughs> that's awesome do you think that designing games after working in like a board game cafe for so many years do you think that actually helped you in your design process absolutely I think that the biggest advantage that um being there day after day and like making recommendations to families or college students or serious gamers I got very familiar with um like what target markets I'd be designing for and really trying to understand the psychology of the players, what they were looking for, what was fun, um, getting to teach a game over and over and over again to different people coming through the door and seeing what people respond to and what they like and don't like, and having to, to pick out games, having a group come in and being like, okay, they want something party game, they're thinking social deduction, but there's a couple people uncomfortable with lying, like what do we do with that? This person doesn't like trivia, or you know, some of them are serious gamers and some are not, so what's a nice middle ground? What's a good player count? It just makes me have to think about games beyond I just want to design this thing and think, okay, if I want to get this game in front of an audience, if I want this to be pulled off the shelf and played at a board game cafe, like what points am I trying to hit that will achieve that? And then using those as design parameters honestly helps me, I think, tailor my design and design better because of it. Not like I work well with limitations, so I like kind of having those parameters. I feel like there's different kinds of designers. There's the ones that just get an inspiration and go with it. And then there's the ones that are like, hey, we want a box size that's this big. That's this theme, this mechanic and ready, set, go make it for this price point. So you're you like the constraints. I, I think it's a little bit of both. I don't like being handed. OK, you know, it needs to have exactly these perimeters and you don't get any like artistic say or feel in it. 
I like, oh, I have this really cool like concept or idea, but then using, okay, so if this is my, my vision for the game, I'm now thinking it's going to hit like this target market. And then keeping that in mind as my kind of guiding philosophy as I'm making design choices. So for example, if I have something that's kind of like a middle of the road in complexity and I'm trying to make a design choice that like, okay, this would streamline it, maybe take out some of the um, strategic elements, but make it, you know, faster, a little bit easier to get to the table, or I could add in a little bit more complexity and go for a little bit heavier market, which am I trying to go for? And so having an idea of my audience and who I want to get it in front of and uh, like the box size, the price point, all of those elements helps me make those decisions when I could go either way. Like when the game realistically could really develop into two completely different things that helps me make my decision. Okay. So then for Pirate Tales, what was the vision? What inspired that game? (laughs) So funny story. One of my favorite things as a player and least favorite things as a board game cafe owner and teacher of games are games that I call um, two-phase games, where you have the entire first half of the game, and then there's a completely different rule set for the second half of the game. Not like the rounds have phases, but like the game itself is two kind of separate games put together. I love playing those. One of my favorite games is For Sale. I think it's an incredible game, and it wouldn't work if it didn't have two phases. Betrayal, you know, is another one. Betrayal at House on the Hill. Great game. I hate teaching them. It's not fun to teach them because when you're trying to teach the second half of the game, people zone out. They don't understand the second half of the game because they haven't really played the first half of the game, no matter how simple it is. But you can't just be like, I'll come back and teach you the second half of the game because people are like, no, I want to know how to win. So it's a pain to teach. I don't like it. There's a lovely game called uh, Biblios that I really enjoy. Have you played Biblios? Yeah, is that from Yellow Games? I think it is. Yeah, I played it one time before. Yeah, I think it's super great. It's one of the games I was taught early on when I was getting into gaming. It's got a special place in my heart. And I love it has the mechanic where you're drawing a card and you're trying to decide right then, like, is this one I'm going to keep? Is this one I'm going to give to my opponents? Or is this going to go in the auction pile? And then you do that all the way around many, many times. Great. Second phase of the game we go back to that auction pile that people have been putting cards in and then we're trying to buy them and it's a whole nother thing. And then you do the scoring. I think it's a great game. Excellent game. I'm not trying to dish on that, but I don't like teaching it, but I really like that mechanic. So that was my inspiration for, okay, if I were going to try to make like, like a light version inspired by Biblios that I could teach to, you know, families, to casual gamers, college students that walk in my door that has that push your luck drafting element what would that game look like? And so that was the inspiration for Pirate Tales. Initially, it was called Tail Mix, T-A-I-L Mix. And it was like Trail Mix because it was set collection and you're collecting different types of nuts. So as you're drawing cards, you're deciding which ones you're going to keep and which ones you're going to pass on. And for this one, uh, I guess for people who don't know how to play, you're deciding, you're drawing the cards and deciding right then if you're going to keep it or if it's going to go out to the middle of the table. One has to go face up, one has to go face down, and one you're keeping. And then at some point in the game, you're passing and you're taking all of the cards on one of the locations, one of the buried treasured spots. And then you get to keep all the cards. You do that three times. And then you're taking all the nuts that you've collected and you are putting them in sets and you get to score for each set. Then the way the the scoring works is after three rounds, you've collected all these nuts. If you have only one of a type of nut, so if I only have one acorn, it doesn't score at all. 
if I have two, I get to score the lower value. So if I have a zero and a 12, which that's the range of points, then I would score zero points. Um, but if I have a five and an eight, I score five. That's still pretty good. If you have three of a type of nut, you get to score the middle value. And then if you have four or more, you score the higher value. So round one, you're just like, I don't care what kind of nuts I get. Just I'm just going to collect as many nuts as I can. But by the third round, you're like, oh, I just need one more acorn. I don't care if it's a zero. I just I have to have it so I can score my 12 or you know whatever my highest point card is. And so it gets really interesting if you'll be in like, there's only two cards in this spot and I don't care. I'm passing. I'm taking it because it's exactly what I need you know, to score points. And there's a little bit more to it. There's uh, some special um, cursed candy or cursed nut cards in there that if you only have one or two, they're worth five points each. But if you have three or more, they're all worth zero. So too much candy gives squirrels a stomach ache. You're also trying to be careful with all those face down cards on the locations that like, okay, what are the odds that it's going to make my candy bust not be worth any points? So a little bit of a guessing what people put where, um, a little bit of a little bit of memory. <laughs> what did I put face down there? I can't remember. And a little bit of you know push your luck, trying to be like, ah, oh, I'll go one more round. I you know, I'll probably still get the the location I want. So that's the gist of the game. Uh, like I said, it was originally Pirate Tales, and then when Skybound signed it, they wanted to make it um, more a little more cutesy, like with the art and do with the theme of pirate squirrels. You know, buried treasure, buried nuts. And I was like, that sounds amazing. Love the pirate squirrels. So that's kind of the how the game changed. But back to the initial question, uh, Biblios was definitely a huge inspiration. And that that specifically that mechanic of kind of like drawing and deciding right then whether to push your luck or to take that, uh, which I've seen in some other games, but that's kind of my favorite. I would say um, Colorado was another one that I just really, I really liked that game. And so that had some um, inspiration as well. The scoring mechanic just kind of happened. I was just like, oh, I, I want something really simple, really easy to score, not a lot of math. What's a good way to do it? I had already kind of settled on set collection. And then once I was like, oh, I really like, you know, two is the lowest, three is the middle, four or more is the highest. It just kind of came together. So that was honestly one of my faster designs. And I like games where you can just see like it works or it doesn't. And I had to tweak some of the, the values like up to 12 or up to 10, a little bit of that. But um, for the most part, you know, it's it works or it doesn't. And I really like that. Was there much like playtesting and development that changed anything else besides what you mentioned? Originally, it was four player, and when it was signed, they asked if I could make it work up to five. I think like there were there were two different options for the two player version of whether like you're drafting for two different locations and taking them both, or whether there was like a third kind of dummy pile. And so there was a little bit of playtesting and development there. That game was designed at the start of COVID, so playtesting was a little bit more difficult in person at the time, which was what our group was. Eventually, over the course of COVID, you know, we did more of the online playtesting and kind of got used to that. But I, I prefer the print and plays, so it took a bit to uh, to get there. But but it didn't it didn't uh, go through extensive development uh, process, development changes. No, oh, that's great that it worked so quickly. And then how did you end up signing it with Skybound? So here's the full story. I was at uh, my first Gen Con, and I had a couple of games that I had sell sheets for, and then I had uh, you know, a prototype for, for Pirate Tales, Tale Mix at the time. But I, I did not know how to, to pitch, didn't have meetings set up. I didn't want to go and like cold talk to people at booths and be like, hello, can I pitch you something? Because I don't like approaching strangers and doing cold pitching. It makes me uncomfortable. Um, and I was just there to work it. But I was like, well, I'll like take my sell sheets, and I'll like you know, just see, just see what happens. Like, I'm not going to force anything, but we'll see what happens. I was hanging out with Maggie uh, Clayton, 
who was working at Creative and Games at the time, I think. And I like had known her from before COVID, but like we were, you know, kind of tangentially knew each other on Facebook, but not hadn't hung out a ton. But I knew her and we were one of the few people hanging out in the, the lobby at the hotel at Gen Con. And so, you know, we started chatting more. And then she introduced me to um, Jacob Way, who I had never met before. And he's now one of my favorite human beings on the planet. He is a deep water, which is now friendly skeleton. And, you know, uh, I think he mentioned, oh, yeah, I'm doing like some taking some pitches tonight to Maggie. And she's like, oh, yeah, I've got to do some. I've got to take some pitches, too. And so, of course, I perked up and I was like, are, are is that open to anyone? And he's like, oh, or, you know, you design. And I was like, oh, yeah. And so I showed him my sell sheets. He was very like, he was so kind. Like, oh, yeah, I love sell I'm like, let me take a look. And gave me feedback because uh, they were my first sell sheets. And um, gave me some tips and pointers. And uh, with with Pirate Tales or Tail Mix, he was like, oh, like that looks like something that would be in um, like game right type uh, category. And I was like, yeah, actually the art style was very inspired by like Sushi Go, like kind of the cute iconography. And I said, yeah, I think it would be really good in their catalog, but like, I don't, I don't know anyone there. So like, that's not going to happen. And the next day he came up to the booth that I was working and was just like, Hey, just want to let you know, I guess one by uh, the game right booth and told my buddy that you're going to come by and pitch later. So do that. And if you can't, then uh, here's his card and you can email him. And like, I had just met this person and I was like, what the heck? Like, thank, thank you. What? But that was, that was all the push I needed uh, to to have the courage to go over there. So I went up and I was like, um, Jacob told me to come pitch. And he's like, oh yeah, yeah, go for it. Um, and so they were, they were so nice and they were so kind and they took the prototype, which I had been told like that was a really good sign. Like if they took the prototype with them. And so I was hyped and that was one that they were considering for a while. And every time, so then I saw them at Essen and they're like, oh, we're still, we're, you know, it's still in testing. You know, we're still looking at it. We'll let you know by the holidays and then we'll let you know after the holidays. Um, so then while that was kind of under consideration, which would have been huge, but I still didn't have an answer on that. And I was also told that like, it would be like a couple years down the line, right? Cause they're, they're, they're looking years down the line. At the same time, I had another friend be like, Hey, um, Skybound is looking for small box, you know, minimal component games that they can get produced quickly and get on shelves. Because this was at the time when all of the shipping containers and all the heavy Kickstarters and everything were tied up in the ocean. And so, you know, companies were trying to make money and, you know, they had very, they, they couldn't do anything super, super expensive. And um, Skybound was, you know, was doing more in the, the board game industry. And so I sent my, my sell sheets over, uh, a couple of them, and they wanted to set up a meeting at uh, PAX Unplugged. And so I pitched them a couple of the games that I had. Um, I went in actually with a different one, a trick-taking game that they were interested in seeing first. But then after kind of seeing the games in person, they were like, we want to see more about this one, Tailmix. And so then I gave them the prototype. And then um, I don't know the exact timeline, but a little bit later, they they said they wanted to uh, to sign it. So a very <laughs> long story um, that ended up with, I, you know, I was trying to make that decision of like, okay, like I know Game Right, I know it's a big company, but like I also know it would be like years on the line and trying to like make the decision of, I didn't know Skybound much at the time, but it was one of those like, well, this would get it to market quicker. I like the Skybound team when I, you know, was chatting with them. They seem great. And honestly, like the sooner I can, you know, have my name on a box at this point, the better. And so I'll never know if Game Right would have signed it or not. I'll never know. But, you know, I think it was the right choice. And I've been really happy with uh, working with Skybound. So, yeah. No, I think that was a great story because honestly, not a lot of designers get to go through the experience of like having multiple games getting considered. But also when it gets to the point where like, 
I don't know, like, I mean, he had to deal with multiple publishers being interested in the game. It's kind of this weird thing that I don't think we talk about enough of like the what ifs or do I choose the one that I have an offer right now for or do I wait it out and see if this other maybe bigger fish, you know, gets caught. But I mean, personally, me, I would have done the exact same thing that you did. Yeah, I, I think it was the right choice. You know, there's always there's always the what if, you know, the, oh, would it have been? Yeah, like, but I, I'm very happy with the choice I made. And I've been really happy working with Skybound. And I knew that, you know, because it was a, a smaller launch, and, you know, one of their their first small box games they were putting out that it, it's going to take a little bit more time to kind of pick up the traction and the marketing and get it out there. But, you know, I, I'm hoping it's one of those kind of more of like the sleeper hits where like not huge at launch, but then like people are like, Oh, I like found this, like found this game and played it. like really like it. And it be one of those games you kind of put in your bag and travel with because it's like that right level. I can teach it fast and we can play it quick and you're always going to have a good time. You know, there's enough strategy there to keep it interesting, but it's also easy enough that you can get new people on board. That's the space I was really trying to design for, you know, for the cafe, like those things I can pull off the shelf and just know like, okay, this is going to be a good choice, kind of no matter what the player base is. It has wide audience appeal. Definitely makes sense, especially I've been going to more cafes. And sometimes I feel bad for the people working there when you ask them to teach something and they just like do not know the rules for all the heavy <laughs> stuff. But like, you're like, here's a bunch of light games I can offer you. And I was like, I already know how to play those, but thank you. <laughs> so how long in total do you think it went from that initial prototype to actually having the game out for people to buy? Well, it was the start of COVID. And then it launched at Gen Con this past year. So I've lost all concept of time, like many people, via COVID. But I think that's three years? Four? Three. Yeah, it's like three and a half. How do you think the game is currently doing since its launch? I think it's been doing well. I, I have not been super like in contact, like getting updates um, on it. I've just kind of... I've been working on other things and going through a lot of like life stuff right now. So I'm leaving it to the, to the pros to handle, but I know, I know it's in books a million or at least it's contracted to be in books a million. I'm not sure if it is like physically in the location yet. Oh, wow. Congrats. Thanks. So yeah, so that's exciting. And then I know there were some other interested more like big box, but I'm not sure where that's all at. Yeah, I know there's been like some reviewer coverage of it, but I, I know it's in the docket for some reviewers. But yeah, I, I should probably I should probably check into Skybound and be like, hey, where's that at? I forget some of my games exist, to be honest. So you're fine. <laughs> well, yeah, I just, you know, I, I like many designers, you know, have thought about going the like self-publishing route, but like it's just so many different hats to wear and so much to learn. And like, while I do enjoy learning a lot of things and kind of being a jack of all trades, I did that so much with the store and I loved it, but I'm, I'm like, I want, I want to finally be able to get really good at one thing, you know, to spend my time really doing the one thing that I love, which is the design part of it. And then, you know, be in a place where I can pass it off to, you know, publisher to do what they're good at, you know, to, to handle the, the manufacturing and the logistics and the, the, the marketing and that kind of stuff. So we'll see, you know, the, I know, that's what a lot of designers say until they deal with publishers that they don't have a good time working with. And then they're like, nope, I'm doing it on my own from now on. But uh, thankfully, that's not been my experience so far. I've worked, you know, I've enjoyed the publishers I've worked with and I feel, you know, really blessed. But some of that is also, I think, having gotten to go to a lot of cons and meet a lot of publishers and kind of already know who I would be working with before, you know, not just blindly kind of 
pitching it out there and kind of taking what I can get. So I've been very fortunate. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize when you're choosing a publisher, you're choosing to like have them in your life for many years over, hopefully. (laughs) So it is a partnership. And you don't always want to go with the one that gives the most money. Sometimes you want to go with the one that you just trust the most and you vibe with the most. So Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, and I, I know, you know, publishers are looking for for different things that fit their brand. And so, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely intending to work with different publishers but I you know I'd be lying if I didn't say I would I would love to you know have someone be the Tim Burton to my Johnny Depp just find a publisher that I'm like I click with you and I will make whatever you want because I know that you're going to do just do such a good job with it that I don't want anyone else to to touch it you know just that's my that's my dream that's my hope yeah I feel like there's only a few designers I can think of that have that nice combo but I think that's a great goal for you (laughs) for most people so, okay, for the game, though, what was your favorite and your least favorite experience as far as, like, the whole design journey? That's a good question. There was something, because it was such a, I want to say simple design, because I feel like that's that's not a good term for it. But, like, I, I'm very happy. It was one of the designs that came together quicker, but it was one where, like, I knew what I wanted that core to be, right, with the, the you know, the um, drawing and and push your luck decide right then whether to keep it or not like I knew I wanted that to be the core and I knew I wanted to go with set collection to keep it simple but I was like there was just the that other thing that was kind of missing you know in in the scoring and so when the moment that I, I thought of the like the scoring with the two is lowest three is middle four is highest like the moment that happened it just kind of felt like it clicked and came together. And that was a really cool, like, like, yes, like this is it kind of moment for me. Whereas other designs I've had it where you just, you know, you have to throw stuff at the wall. You have to try it. It doesn't work. Try something else. It doesn't work. And so that was one where I was like, I was very confident. I was like, yes, I, I really like this. This is what it's going to be. And I just had to tweak the numbers a little bit. So that, that felt really good. That was probably my favorite part of the design experience. I guess the other I don't know if this counts as the design experience, but getting in front of people for the first time and seeing positive reaction um, is always, you know, so validating. I would definitely say that's part of it. Yeah, like this seems great in my head, you know, but then getting it in front of other people and then watching them be like, wow, like I really like this. Like that's uh, that's so good. So that will never not be part of my favorite, but least favorite. So I don't like doing the math and the balance and the numbers like... I will do it. It is part of the job, but that's something that the more I trust uh, development and the people that I'm working with for development, the happier I am letting developers develop and balance. And so that was one that my husband, he's much better with numbers. And so it was like, okay, like, I just don't know. Like I had, I think one through 10 to start. And I was like, something has to change here. And he's like, oh, well, you just need to use, it wasn't Fibonacci. It was something like that where he did the math where Basically, you were always incentivized to have a larger set than a smaller set, or there was no reason to to try to take four cards and break it down into two sets of twos, which was an option at one point. Now it's just, you just do it by color, you know. Anyway, so he he helped uh, do the math and was like, oh, you just need to use like uh, 0, 1, 2, 3, 5, 8, 12. Duh. And I was like, great. So that was something that I, it was not something I enjoyed and was having, you know, frustration with just like how to know, how to know what number to use and how to figure that out from a mathematical standpoint instead of just doing a bunch of just play testing and seeing what works and what doesn't. And so that was frustrating until I was able to kind of pass it off to him and he gave me a very quick answer. And I was like, oh, 
great. And then we tested with those numbers and they, that, that worked really well. So, but it's not that the math, I think the math is wrong. I just never, I never can trust that what I come up with isn't going to like break after, you know, a bunch of plays or that someone's going to be like, ah, you know, no edge case. If you just do this, then you can break the game. Like that's always my fear. No, I definitely get that. I always say my biggest weakness is like the math stuff because I can guesstimate. I can base it off of things I know. And I used to be, I thought I was good at math. And then I realized in comparison to so many other people, I am fine. (laughs) I'm okay. But I I totally get that. Having someone that can check your work is very valuable. Yeah. Well, and also like kind of seeing that other people do just like start by throwing numbers at the wall sometimes and then, you know, seeing what oh, this, this number's too big. We need to change that. Or, you know, these numbers are too close together. Like, that that's a valid approach. Because for me, I'm like, if I can't approach this systematically and just be able to define what the optimal range is before I start, then I just kind of get put off putting any numbers on it. Because what if I pick the wrong ones? And so, you know, it's the, the fail faster or whatever. I'm getting more comfortable being like, okay, I'm just going to pick some numbers and we're going to check them out there and see what works. Or I've even had games where I'm just like, you know, it's very like nebulous values. Like, yeah, these don't have points on them, but just like, pretend they do I still want to see what strategies you pick and at some point you know the, the numbers will matter but we can still play the core of the game and see what works and that that's been kind of cool too is to just to test with players that like understand that like yep we're just gonna pretend that there's value here and test and uh that's always fun so figuring out how to work around the math problem but still looking for a super great developer to work with so <laughs> yep if you were to offer any piece of advice to like a newer designer what would you tell them? The two things I would tell to anyone that came to our design group and was like, I want to design a game is uh, one, play more games. You know, your design space is always, is only limited to the toolbox that you have, which comes from playing games. And that's the same thing with writing, right? Read more books, you know, and like I, I, you know, love Katana Monopoly and those are my starting points. But when I would get people that came in the store and they're like, I love games, I love playing games so much. And like, my favorite game is Catan. And I want I designed this game. Do you want to see what the game is? I'd be like, and in my head, like, let me guess, it's like Catan, but dot, dot, dot. And sure enough, every time it's like Catan, but this change. Um, and I've, I've designed games with like, oh, I like this game, but what if I made changes to it? But you can only make as many changes as you have, you know, mechanics that you know to pull from so that's that's always the if you if you really want to take design seriously my advice would be play a different board game every day for a year and you're going to be a much better designer at the end of the year not having designed a single thing than you would be if you spent every day trying to design a game instead and not play and I should take my own advice because I am not playing as many board games as I used to and uh then I wonder like oh huh my designs have gotten a little stale I feel like I need new inspiration play more games the second piece of advice for people assuming they're playing board games would be to go to conventions because uh, to work a convention if possible, like be a booth person, work a booth because so much of working in the industry is about knowing, knowing who the publishers are, knowing who the people at the publishers are, you know, learning the games, making connections, starting to just know who people are. And if you're trying to decide to pitch a game to you know a lot of people are like I'm going to Gen Con for the first time and I have this game I've been working on for seven years and I'm so excited I'm going to pitch it to everyone I can and like so many of those are already non-starters because it's just not a good fit for the company but if you don't know that yet 
you're just going to face so much more like rejection and not understanding why. And I know, you know, I have a lot of people in my life that like would be super bummed. They pitched this game to someone and they were ejected. And it's like, I could have told you that like, that was a, a terrible company to pitch to for the game that you have. And it doesn't say anything about your game. That's, that's not the right fit. And so knowing people and knowing who you should be showing your stuff to is so important. And also they're happy to give tips about what they're looking for. Like some, some of my design inspirations have come from like, Hey, what are you looking for? Like, like, where are you trying to head as a company? What kind of stuff are you trying to sign? And that's really fun. They'll like be like, Oh, I'm looking for this. And it's so much fun. Like, okay, cool. I'm going to try to design a game that you're looking for. And like, maybe that's not, the best inspiration or how some people choose to design games and that's not the only way I design games you know I like to design for themes I like to design for experiences but it's so fun to be able to be like okay yeah I'm gonna try to design for that specifically and see what I come up with a good design challenge and I, I'm, I'm off course but those would be my uh, my two tips is play more games play all the games you can and go to conventions get to know people I would recommend doing it via working a booth because you get to see a lot more than of the industry than um, just going as a consumer. But yeah. I will add working at a booth really starts to help your elevator pitch since most times if you're working at a booth, you are pitching game concepts to someone or you're teaching games to people. And honestly, that repetition truly does make you better at describing a game very quickly to someone. And it's good because it's like a transferable skill to when you are pitching to companies. And I completely agree that knowing the companies you want to pitch to very important. I always tell people, research them first, especially now that I've started to do the inventor relation stuff and taking pitches. I have a newfound appreciation for designers that actually take the time to see if their game would potentially be a fit. Like, of course, we don't know what every company is looking for, but you can at least look at the games they currently have and see if your game is within that vibe. Because like, don't pitch to some heavy Euro company if you've got like a small card game like your game. Like it, it doesn't make sense. They're going to say no. And it's like, you're wasting both people's time. I think that's really true. And like, at the same time, like there's publishers that like I know personally. And so I will go ask them like, hey, so I noticed that you have like this game in your catalog and it's been a super big hit for you. And 50% of the time they're trying to find stuff like that, right? Like adjacent to that. So they could be like, yeah. We had this game, everyone loved it. Now we have this other game that's similar and that works for them. And then the other 50% of the time, they're like, no, we already have a game of that in our catalog. We don't want another one. You know, like, oh, we already have a trick-taking game. We don't want another trick-taking game because we don't want to, you know, split our market. Like we want to sell them on the one trick-taking game that we have that, you know, is super good. And like, that's our trick-taking game. We want something different. And so even someone who has been in the industry a bit and like knows a lot of these publishers and would think like, oh, this game is a great fit for so-and-so company. A lot of times we're like, oh, actually it's not because they're trying to go for something different. Or yeah, this is a more heavy Euro type company, but actually they've been looking for some, you know, lighter games to to break more into the the mass market or the, you know, the gateway kind of category to to move to to have more range for their company and so you never know um so yeah absolutely research 100 percent. but that's another one of just like if you can go to conventions and if you can meet people and network and talk to them you know you get an opportunity to pick their brains that you wouldn't get just from researching agreed definitely agree 
All right. Well, so Whitney, I know I mentioned two games that technically aren't out yet in your intro, but you did co-design, but are there any projects that you want to like talk about that you have coming out in the future that people should look out for? Apart from those two or? I mean, you can talk about those two also. Go for it. Whatever ones you're excited to talk about. Yeah. No. Yeah. I'll talk about those two because I'll never pass down the opportunity to, to plug those games. So the first one coming out is Charcuterie which hopefully you all backed on Kickstarter. Um, and that's coming out with uh, 3WS, Third World Studios. Um, and it is a game about making a charcuterie tray. And that one was also inspired at the store. I was putting together a charcuterie tray for a party. And, you know, it was like, oh, like, I like to make it pretty. And it's just like, oh, I have to add this here. And like, oh, I forgot to leave space for this. And I'm going to move this over there. And as I was making it, I was like, yeah, this is like a game. And so, of course, it was like, oh, it should be a game. How does it score? And I remember going to the, the design group and I was like, okay, I want this to be a tile placement game, but I don't want it on a grid. I'm tired of grid games. I want it to be, you know, like different actual like pieces. And I want it to look like a charcuterie tray. I want it to feel like you're arranging a charcuterie tray, freeform tile placement. And they're like, that's impossible. So of course, you know, that, that was what I needed to be like, ha, watch me. So I, I, I do... I am a little bit spiteful. And so when people tell me I can't do things, that's very motivating. So people should tell me that more. Anyway, that one's great. And uh, it's coming out last I heard, like end of Q1, early Q2, hopefully. I know that like all the files and everything were like pretty ready to go, like ready to print as soon as the Kickstarter was done. So it's definitely not going to be a long wait. Uh, It should be out soon. That's exciting. Like that's super exciting. So they did a tremendous job with it. And the art is absolutely stunning. Like I just, yeah, it's you'll want to eat the tray when you're done with it, which is the point. Or to go put together an actual charcuterie tray. So, Or do what I do and tag you anytime I make a charcuterie board now. <laughs> <laughs> no, for real. Like, I, I have people that will just, like, text me pictures of them, like, at restaurants eating charcuterie, and they're, like, thinking of you. And I'm, like, yes, yes, this is perfect. Just send me pictures of your cheese, and I will be <laughs> so happy. You're going to get real hungry real soon. <laughs> yeah, but also, like, I'm, you know, now, like, I wanted it to be the kind of thing that – you know, you didn't like, like light gamers, you know, like soccer moms would be like, oh yeah, we're just like girls night. We're going to like do charcuterie and we're going to play charcuterie, you know, and it, it, um, be that like weight, but also something that could be crunchier and, you know, get really into the strategy. But I a hundred percent just want people to take pictures of their, their charcuterie tray, like with the game, you know, like, oh, like theme night and like, you know, tag, tag me, tag the company. Um, that's, that's what I'm really hoping happens on social media. It just makes me so happy. So super hyped about that. And then the other one that is signed and coming out, last I heard was also supposed to be Q1, is Invincible Escape from Mars, which is also a Skybound and is super exciting. First IP game I've done. And uh, the game is based, it's a social deduction game based on the episode, for those that have seen the show, that happens on Mars, where there's like an alien hive mind creature that, if you know, attaches to the humans, then they, they become part of the hive mind. And so the, the game is you are the astronauts or the superheroes, and you're trying to get back to the rocket and off Mars and back to Earth. But if one of the, the sequids, the aliens, sneak on board, um, then, you know, then the alien team wins. And so a social deduction game. But we wanted this one, this is also a co-design, to be a game where um, the, I had a lot of people that would come in to play social deduction games in the store, but there would be like one person who was really bad at lying or hated lying. And as soon as they got like 
outed or, you know, like didn't do a good job, then like they were really upset for the rest of the game because they kind of had to sit there and like they could be like, no, I'm not actually bad. But like everyone knew it. And it just it sucks. It's not a fun feeling. And so we wanted to design a social deduction game where you could swap sides back and forth. So like you could become infected. But then, you know, if people found out, they could actually remove, you know, shoot the sequoia and you could become a human again. And so it's a little bit lower stakes. It's a little bit lighter. You know, you still want to try to win as the alien, but then if you get turned back into a human, you can still win. It's the game's not over because you messed up or because someone got lucky and found you out. That was surprisingly harder to design than I thought it would be. A social deduction game where you could swap sides back and forth and like how information is handled um, was very difficult because... Like, what am I trying to find out if, like, I found out you're a bad guy, but you're just going to become a good guy again. What's the point of figuring anything out? That was a very difficult thing to um, to solve. But I think we I think we nailed it. I'm very excited. And it's definitely, it's easier to get to the table because you don't have to, like, if you, if you don't lie really well, like, you're going to screw up the game. And I forget where I was going with that train of thought. That you have awesome games coming out and people need to get excited. Uh, you're the best. <laughs> Honestly, I'm so excited about that game. That game is definitely the one that like went through the most development changes. Like the game changed pretty drastically during the development process because we would get really close, we would think, to having the game where we wanted it, but there would just be like one one thing that we're like, if we could just solve this one thing, then it would work, and we could never solve it. And because it, it turned out, you know, it's like a core issue with the the information exchange and the way a social deduction game works. And we're like, no, like we, I think we just have to go back to the drawing board. We have to like fix this tiny thing which means we have to overhaul the whole system <laughs> it went through so many changes and it's really hard to play test larger group games like social deduction games it was hard to just get a couple people together to like all right we've got like three of us here so getting the you know the eight nine ten player play test was was difficult to to arrange so in terms of the, the development process that one definitely took the longest but i'm super excited for that one i honestly i it's I don't, I don't think I can have a favorite game that I've designed, but that might be the one I'm the most proud of the design process and like what we had to do to like make it feel spot on to like the theme. The goal, the goal with that one was honestly, like I love We're Doomed, uh, the party game. Uh, it's one of my favorites to play. And I love a game that you know it's going to be short and there's strategy to it. There is so much strategy. You can try to do things to win. You can try to do things to lose. And sometimes... Sometimes stuff just happens. It's zany. It's fun. Sometimes you just get like screwed over, but that's okay because the story that you walk away from is just so, it's so good. Like what happened in that situation was so good that you just can't be mad. And it's short enough that you're like, okay, we'll play again. And so our goal was to capture that kind of feeling, but as a social deduction game. And I think that's really where it landed. So I'm super hyped for that to come out and I can't wait for everyone to see it. Hey, and I'm super jealous you got to do Invincible because... That's awesome. I still need to figure out how to fix my problem with my social deduction game. And I've been working on it for years. So good on you. Because those are hard. Like you want it to be simple enough, but different enough from the things that already exist and have like an interesting, oh, it's so annoying, but good job. It is hard. I, social, social deduction games are really hard. And I'm, I'm like just amazed at like the ones that are just stellar, like wondering what that process looked like i will not be designing a social deduction game again for a while because i think this one is like really good but it's just like oh man it's hard so i'm, I'm trying to think if i know which one you're talking about that you've been working on we'll, we'll have to we'll have to chat <laughs> sounds good all right well then for my final question of the podcast if you could have been the designer of a game that you didn't design which one would you choose that's that's a difficult question 
I mean, I kind of want to pick the cop-out answer of just like, oh, something that makes a bunch of money and then I'm like independently wealthy and then I can like do whatever I want with any designs for the rest of my life. Uh, but I'm not going to pick the wow. cop-out answer. <laughs> okay. Well, it's – no, I'm, I'm – I, but like if we're if we're talking like efficiency, right? Then that no. Like, all right, we're talking like your heart. Like, what one would you feel proud to have made? <laughs> no, I know, I know, I know. I, I, so I'm not gonna give that answer. Um, so my my favorite game uh, of all time is is the Arkham Horror uh, Living Card Game, and so that's probably what I would go with. I just I love it so much. I think that the design space there is incredible. Of like what what experiences that they're able to capture and story with such with, with cards. Like normally I prefer board games to card games. I am a board gamer. Card games are not my jam. And yet the Arkham card game is my favorite. It's just it's phenomenal. So I would be so proud to be the designer of that. But it also requires so many things outside my skill set and just like the amount of like balance and like I, I don't know that it's one that I would be like, oh yeah, that's the game I would have designed. I don't know. Like, it's okay. It's your favorite. Yeah, yeah. It's my favorite. It's hard to not choose your favorite. Yeah. But I actually, I think, I think I actually might go with Clank. I love engine builders. I love system games, and Clank to me, because I played so much Dominion. Like our college group played. We had every Dominion expansion. Like we played so much dominion until it just became unwieldy to get out of the boxes anymore but love dominion and so when clank came out and it was like oh my gosh a deck builder with a board like that blew my mind and we played that to death like i honestly haven't been able to play clank in a while because we played so much of it and i'm just like i just can't but i i love it i played all the expansions i played the legacy game like i love clank but it's also something that i could see being like oh like a deck builder with a board, this opens up so much more design space. And actually after Clank came out, I was like, oh, okay, so what are all of the the things that are going to come out now because of that? And I was like, what about what about a deck builder, but the board is also worker placement? Like, what would that look like? And I didn't, I, I tossed around a couple ideas with it, but you know, that was early on with design and I, the store and I was very busy and all that kind of stuff. But um, uh, like, I think it was two years or three years to the day of like that thought was when um, uh, Ruins of Arnak and Dune Imperium like both came out same time, you know, engine deck builders with worker placement elements. And it was just like, I, I felt pretty proud of that. I was like, oh, called it. But also like, oh, what if, what if, you know, I just gotten to work when Clank came out. But, and I love both of those games. So I think they, you know, they're two very different iterations on kind of that same concept. And so, I love seeing, uh, you know, the next step of something in the design space. Like, there's so many iterations of the same mechanics, but seeing something that not as necessarily like a new me- a new mechanic because that's so hard. You know, I don't know that I will see many of those in my lifetime. Maybe I'm wrong, but usually it's, you know, innovative takes on mechanics. So like the deck builder with the board, and then um, modern trick taking. You know, I love. I grew up playing euchre with my family, and so when the crew came out and it was like, whoa this is cool. Like, what are all the cool new things we can do with trick-taking? I think that was also one that I was like, oh, what if, you know, like really, really cool, really changing the the industry and kind of the course of what everyone's designing. Th- those are the ones that really stand out to me is like, you know, chef's kiss, like wish I'd, wish I'd been that, that person and uh, just a lot of respect for, for those games. So. I totally agree. And I'm excited to hopefully see both of us do something like that in the future. Hell yeah. Yeah. 
And for everyone who's been listening to this, thank you for listening to this episode of Game Design Unboxed, Inspiration to Publication, Episode 81, Pirate Tales. And thanks again, Whitney, for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, totally. And for anyone trying to find you online, can you be followed on like any social medias or websites or anything? Yes, I am on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. And I also recently joined um, Blue Sky or Blue Ski, as I'm really hoping we can <laughs> make everyone catch on. Like Target. Love it. Yeah, exactly. I haven't been posting on there a lot. I just, but I'm I'm hoping to do more of that. I'm also kind of waiting to see if that becomes the new the new Twitter or if uh or if that dies off. So it's looking like it might might pull ahead. So we'll see. But um probably Instagram would be the best place to follow me. It's at Whitney Red Lorraine. And that's my Facebook handle as well. And I believe also Blue Ski. So all in one spot. You can also just look up any of the games on uh Board Game Geek um and click my profile and I have them listed there. That makes it pretty idiot proof. Well, awesome. And I am your host, Danielle Reynolds. If you're looking to find me on social media, Ooh. you can go, oh, yay. <laughs> uh, Instagram, Blue Sky, and X or Twitter. And you can find me at Token Gamer. And that's spelled G A Y M E R for anyone who's wondering. Gay. <laughs> yes. Hashtag gay. <laughs> and with that, goodbye. And thanks for listening. Thanks, Whitney, for being on the show. Thank you for joining Danielle for another episode of Game Design Unboxed, inspiration to publication. If you'd like to hear more great gaming podcasts, check out nodirectionpodcast.com. And if you're looking for a great board game, bag, playbat, or gaming table, check out All Play at letsallplay.com. Join us next time.